And welcome back everyone to this edition of NACAPA's 65 Years of Our Huddle Includes Everyone podcast series. On this uh, episode of the podcast, we have a very special guest. Past President Steve Dean jumps on the call to talk uh, well, talk about moving NACAPA into the new millennium. Steve was the president from 2004 to 2019 and oversaw the drastic and uh, I call vast changes, not just in the Kappa, but uh, in the football world in general. So we're going to have Steve jump on the call here momentarily. And we're back. And as mentioned, ex Nakafa president Steve Dean joins us. Steve, how are you? Morning, Wayne. Good yourself. I'm doing very well, very well. Steve, I very much appreciate you taking the time to kind of jump in and talk a little football, talk a little football in the uh, nation's capital with us. Well, there's not much else going on, I guess, with COVID, but uh, always got time for football. You know what? It's funny. You're not the first to uh, to almost phrase it exactly like that, you know. It's it's always good to talk football, um, particularly at this time. Well, Steve, I'll I'll jump right into it as I... Mentioned to uh, some of the listeners at, uh, in our intro, um, you're the ex NACAFA president, uh, a bit of what we, uh, we refer to ourselves as football lifers. I'll ask you for a bit of your, uh, your background and your history, not just with NACAFA, but football in general. When did you get your start in football? How far does football go back with you? Sure. Well, I guess high schools were, uh, were fight, high, sorry, were tackle football started. I played for uh, St. Pius 10th. Uh, back in the uh, 70s, we had uh, some pretty good teams and uh, some lifelong pr- friendships, quite frankly, that came out of it uh, to this day. Um, when I got in and into a little bit of my uh, my 20s, I played a lot of touch football uh, competitively with a couple of uh, pretty good teams and always enjoyed the game. You know, a big NFL fan, big CFL fan. And certainly when uh, when I had kids, uh, it wasn't long before my son expressed an interest in football, probably with a little bit of urging from dad. And uh, he had a, a pretty good tackle career with uh, the Redskins and, and uh, went off to Western and played uh, with them for a year. Daughter played touch football, um, very competitive in the uh, high school arena in, in Ottawa. Rod Moore has done a great job of really kind of establishing touch football in the school community. And that's been good for the sport and it's been good for, for growth with it. So that's kind of my history of, uh, of, of the game. And then, of course, when my son stopped playing football, my daughter stopped playing football, as you mentioned earlier, I kind of I kind of hung around it for another couple of years, and uh, that's where my NCAFA time really kicked off. No, I mean, and I like the way you kind of uh, you undersell that when you say you hung around for another couple of years. Because <laughs> in, in fairness, you did a little more than that, but we'll touch on that a little bit. Um, just to go back to your pies playing days, because it's something that always intrigued me. I remember I was... Uh, you were mentioning you played in the 70s, and, uh, and I was a youth growing up in the 70s, so a young guy, a teenager in the 80s and whatnot. And mm-hmm. I always um, – and I remember those pious teams, and I remember what, what football at that level was in the city. It was kind of a different uh, – yeah, it was a different era. Can you describe a little bit your playing days at Pius? Because I think it's interesting to go back. I'd love to hear a little bit about Pius in the 70s. Because I know it was, for those that don't know, it was a bit of a pow- football power in the 70s and 80s. And it was just a different culture. Can you can you talk a little bit that, uh, about sure. that, Steve? Yeah, that was back in the days when um, you know Catholic high schools were uh, privately funded. So, you know, through, to go to the school, you had to actually pay a tuition, which was uh, which was a challenge for a lot of people back then. 
but uh, but football was you know was front and center when you when you walked through the door for the first time at, at the school. And uh, I came from a junior high school, so I only played for two years at, at Pius. But it was one of those experiences that, again, I've got a bunch of friends that uh, that I've known for years and, and retained that. Mario Panetta is probably one name you might be familiar with. He and I played football together at, at Pius. John Blasioli and a, and a few others. But it, it was very much, uh, you know, the sport at school that everyone you know, gravitated to. It was a big team sport. I've always liked that part of football. It's it's in every person's sport. It's just not for the small, fast guys. There's big, slow guys. Everyone has a role in a football field, and high school taught me that. It taught me to work to uh, you know together with with other guys to make a common goal. And at the end of the day, that stuff you know we talked about life lessons. That stuff that we all take with us. And uh, my foundation really came from the school and, and the program that it offered. No, it's interesting, and it's uh, it's kind of neat because again, it's I, I sound like a broken record when I say it, but it's a bit of a common theme uh, that a lot of guys I talk with talk about that kind of discipline and that uh, and that you know that sport that was kind of a, a family approach within a, a locker room of you know thirty, forty, fifty guys that started in high school and evolved yeah. into forms of their life. Very neat. Um, now, talk a little bit about your. Um, your children have kind of, like you said, you kind of gave us a nice little segue into that. Your children have kind of finished off their playing days or whatnot, but you kind of, and I put the quotations, hung around, and that was your NACAFA start. Can you talk to a little bit about your uh, start with NACAFA? Sure. Um, so I coached football with the Nepean uh, Redskins, and uh, now Eagles. And mm-hmm. uh, when when I finished coaching, or not when I finished coaching, but that coaching opportunity led me to uh, becoming the club president. You know, kind of when someone stands up and says, who's going to take on the role? You know, everyone sits down and the last guy standing says, I guess it's me. So, uh, so I volunteered my time as a club uh, representative, club president, which also gave me a seat on the NCAFA board. So I would meet with the uh, board on a monthly basis. You know, so got to meet a lot of great people over that time. You know, Sandy Ruxall being, being a notable one, uh, Jim Wagden, uh, John Smith. I mean, these are guys that have been around for a lot of years. Now, Steve, what, what year was that around when you, uh, when you were, took over as the uh, Redskins, now Eagles president? That would have been probably 1998. Okay, so, you know, it's a good so chunk just, of time to go back. No, cool. Cut a bit of the 90s with it. Nice. And, Very uh, nice. And then when you're on the board of, of NCAFA, then, uh, you know, there was an opportunity to kind of, you know, put some ideas forward. Um, I always thought that football was was not just a game, but you know when you wanted to run the programs, you had to make sure that your clubs and your leagues, you know, finances were in order, that you had a good business structure in place. Because if you don't have that, you have nothing. And uh, you know, I kind of went about working to get the Redskins in a healthy state financially. I mean, most football programs, as you're aware, are kind of hand to mouth. It's not like we've all got you know, tons of money kind of coming out of this. And you know that turnaround was 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 pretty effective within the first 24 months at the at the Redskins level, and then when the Eagles or when the uh, when Kappa called, I saw some opportunities to kind of help you know at a club level at a league level kind of bridge some of the gaps that we had at the club level, and uh, you know lo and behold I think in 20, 2005 or something like that I became uh, league president, and you know by then my kids are long gone. Um, I still have a club affiliation, but I set my sights on you know, kind of helping the league out in areas that I thought were useful. 
and that became another 15 year uh, uh, activity, which, uh, which went by very quickly. And then uh, when I stepped down last year to become past president, it was, was not with COVID-19 in, in the mind, in the sights certainly, but it, uh, it was certainly a situation where my, uh, my time to turn over the reins had come and you know, Gallon Harding has done a fantastic job in kind of picking up and running from there. And I still help him with uh, things that he may need issues of support with. And certainly with the COVID-19 uh, issues staring us all in the face, he's got you know, my support and whatever else he needs to make, uh, make the league successful through that. No, very cool stuff. And I mean, a lot of people, um, and it's funny because, you know, you, you, when you're younger, you don't really grasp how, how quickly 15 years can go. No but, kidding. <laughs> uh, yeah, it, it goes very quickly. And when you're older, there's, I guess you can kind of say less change in your own personal, like I'm not talking even your family life and everything, right? but it's your own personal. As you get older, the change is, is more subtle, I suppose. Not like, you know, going from five to 10 to 15. Yeah. Uh, you watch your children grow. But, and so, but it's, you forget just how many generations or the turnover of people and players and volunteers that you'll see over the 15 years and the, and the drastic change that is, um, you know, the drastic changes that have taken place over those 15 years. And so I guess my question for you, Steve, is kind of when you kind of took over as president in 2005, and I'm going to ask a two-part question, one sure. that deals with coaching, and this one's kind of on the president side. You took over in 2005, You and I'm going to say you stepped aside, not away, because you definitely didn't step away. I know that of them a good story. So you stepped aside in, um, in, in last year, and... Uh, what, what, what do you see as the biggest change, like the biggest difference in those 15 years? Well, I think um, one of the biggest changes is the visibility of the sport um, has been maintained with, through a lot of hard work, through a lot of people. And, you know, the partnership with the Red Blacks, to me, has been a very solid, um, is, is a result of a lot of solid efforts and work on, on a few people. And it was important, I think, to kind of bridge the gap between the CFL, the pro level, university, and minor football, because the sport is, is constantly, you know, under pressure to be financially viable, you know, to follow the rules as, you know, COVID-19 is kind of hitting us with. And, you know, that's not stuff that a lot of volunteer people really are stepping up to do, or, or not really set up to do. They didn't sign up to be a football coach, you know, and an administrator. So... I think the biggest change has been, you know, trying to improve and increase our visibility while at the same time having healthy and viable clubs. And, you know, one of the things that Gowan is, is moving towards, you know, 2020 going forward is, you know, more cooperation at a club level between club presidents, which I think is, is, is critical for the success of the sport. Um, you know, we have to work together and I've always, you know, had the adage that, you know, football helps football. And, um, you know, that means, you know, whether you're a volunteer with a club, whether you're a past player, president of a, of, a, of a club, you still have the stuff that you can give to the sport to make it a successful. And I think one of the things that has, has happened over that last 15-year period moving forward with, with the new president is, is acknowledgement that we have to work together. You know, for football to be successful, we, we cannot, you know, win on the, on the play field and then try to win in the boardroom. It's got to be a good move, a, a good offer. Um, so we're looking for here. It's got to be a cooperative model on, on both sides of it. Oh, got you. No, sorry. Oh, I thought I interrupted you. Oh. Um, 
no, perfect. Well, I had a, a, another kind of extension to that question. Now, Steve, I'm going to kind of put you on a on, on the spot here. Um, when you look back again over those 15 years, is there something that you saw? I don't want to say as as uh, as a stain or something that you were you were worried about, but something that you said we have to change in the in the culture of football, youth football in particular, and maybe in particular to the uh, to the Ottawa region, but something that definitely has to change um, just in the culture and the way we're doing things. Is there anything that jumps out or comes to mind? Well, you know, I I, I, I try to try to make it clear, but. The, when I say football has to help football, that's on and off the field. And, mm-hmm. you know, football folk by their very nature are competitive people. They're driven to be successful. They're driven to you know, get the ball across the goal line and win the game. And, you know, what I found as, as club president and league president is I stepped back from having the approach to win at all costs or to win as the driving priority, but to say, are we, are we healthy organizationally, club-wise, league-wise going forward? Because if we're not, you know, the championships of today are lost tomorrow. There's, there's no more games being played. And I think the right. threat that, you know, we have to acknowledge the fact that all clubs are volunteer-based, volunteer-driven. And you can change the dynamic of a club in, 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 a, sh- in a short order if, if you lose some, <clears throat> lose some good volunteers. So, you know, the need to attract and retain and support good volunteers is, is paramount. And going forward, this is the initiative that we're working on now, is looking at having clubs you know, kind of work in the small groups with each other to support each other, you know, just to share best practices and to work together. And none of it has anything to do with, you know, do we win or lose the game on the field? It's everything to do with, you know, are we working together to make sure that we've got a, a game to play tomorrow? We've got fields that are booked. We've got equipment, you know, proper equipment on, on players and kids. So that's, that's the one thing I think that I would say is a focus, but also uh, an opportunity and that's, you know, to kind of reinvent and re, reinvest the energy into working together off the field to be, again, strength, strong organizationally and, uh, and at a league level. No, it's interesting because you talk a little bit about, you, you talk a little, oh, sorry, that's my feedback there, just making sure that uh, I wasn't interrupting you again, Steve. Uh, you talk a little bit about the future of, um, of, of the game. And I, I, and I'm interested to get your thoughts a little bit at the participation level. Now uh, I know there's been a lot written and it's been going on for several years in terms of participation numbers, dropping, dipping. Um, what did you find in your, uh, in, during your time with both the, uh, the Redskins slash Eagles and within CAFA? In terms of uh, uh, interest in the sport, uh, retaining players or growing, growing the sport, is that? Yeah, like did you, it just uh, over 15 years, the trend registration numbers, like did you, the, the way sure. you hear it from uh, some media outlets is that there's the drop is significant and continues to do so. Did you see I, that? And I, I, Yeah, I don't think that's that. I don't think that comment is, um, is quite accurate from a media perspective. I, I think. You know, every sport goes through dips and valleys. It depends where you start and where you finish. You know, hockey's got the lion's share of athletes given it's essentially it's our national sport. So you're going to see a lot of players gravitate towards hockey. Uh, soccer's become a big sport uh, as well. You know, it's basically a 12-month sport. If you join a, a soccer league, you've got to be a part of that on a continuing basis. And football tends to be, you know, that kind of fall sport that we, uh, we kind of start working on in July and you know, finish up end of October. 
Um, but our numbers as a, as a sport in the auto area have been uh, support, uh, sustainable. We've had some challenges with some clubs having some organizational difficulties, which unfortunately results in clubs not being as active as they should be. And, and of course, less teams get registered, not because there's not kids to play, but because the organization is just not supporting them. So, you know, we, we've had some challenges with, uh, with growth, but I think it's been, uh, it's been not, not a negative challenge. It's not a negative curve as people would think. Um, when we think of football and think of negativity with it, people always assume it's, it's tackle, but football is, you know, the contact and the non-contact component. And, and there's a push nationally and provincially to really grow our non-contact pieces, not to sustain, um, you know, to sustain the clubs, but <clears throat> not to curtail the fact that, you know, tackle has had some challenges, notably around concussions, which we take an unfair hit on that because Everyone talks about football as the lion, as the major sport when concussions are involved, and I think it's number six on the list. So it's not, it's not even in the top five. But by the same token, you know, organizations have to be strong in order to field teams, to give kids a playing shot, and that's one of our focuses now is building air strong organizations, you know, marketing the sport at a higher level, and and that's where the red to blacks um, relationship has come in in a big way. And, and being able to uh, attract kids to a sport that, quite frankly, has been around for over 100 years. And it'll go through some changes, but, you know, I think having organizations set and established ready to do that is, is our success point. Now, I really like that answer, and I appreciate you addressing some of that stuff, because you're not the first uh, kind of high-level administrator in, in, in football in the area that's told me that, uh, you know, it's not 100% uh, accurate, the story that's being portrayed or told. And uh, it's a good segue also into my, my kind of next thought, because when you when you took over as President McCaffrey, even when you were working at the club level, um, you know, flag, touch, these things, even uh, the girls' touch program that has just exploded now, these were just, uh, in some cases, they weren't even on the horizon. If they were, they were just kind of becoming into a, a vision. Can you talk a little bit about how this is grow, how this is growing, and um, how you think this might take football not in a different direction, but in a bigger, more positive sure. direction? Well, a couple of things that I set my sight on when I became president of Encafa was was again trying to grow the sport. And back then, the the, the big focus was tackle. And one of the things that I was uh, heavily involved with was was bringing midget league, the midget level into Encafa. It was a, it was a separate league of four or five clubs. It was in very you know, challenging state financially. These clubs had no relationship with the existing Encafa clubs. So we put a model in place where, you know, we had two Encafa teams, you know, tight to Bantam would feed one midget team. So it gave them a level of sustainability. Midget's not without the challenges. It's a tough age group, but it, it gave that group an opportunity to kind of hang together and, and grow and, and you know with with the interlock with Quebec League in the last couple of years we see midget on a big upswing. In parallel with that <clears throat> I played a lot of touch football and and enjoyed the sport immensely and, and when I looked at our league which was heavily fall tackle male focused it was very apparent we needed to branch out not only to non-contact but to both genders or other genders, not just not just the male only thing. So in launching the girls touch football program, I used the same rule set that we use with the ONTFL. 
Um, we had some pretty good guys come together quickly, and that has just, just exploded. But both of them were done with the view that we need to grow our sport from a contact and non-contact point of view. And even today, we still have clubs have a sense that, you know, football to them is, is tackle football. Well, we're going to push a really hard in 2021 for flag football. Flag football and, and girls touch football are huge growth areas for the sport. And that's not just an Ottawa observation. It's a provincial and national observation as well. So I, th I think what you're going to see is a big push in those two areas to become more accessible to all and to attract players that you know, may not have looked at football as an option in the past. Again, it doesn't have to be tackle football as the, as the version of football that play. You know, flag and touch are, are equally successful, and we're going to see more of that as we go forward. Now, I find it interesting, and again, it's something that puts a smile on my face that you, um, that you talk about the, the flag and touch football. Uh, I just I know my brother actually coaches in Quebec at the uh, at the Sejep level. Um, I believe it's flag. It's either flag okay. or touch, but uh, but it's the um, the girls team for the Sejep level. And I mean, Quebec generally is when you look at a lot of sports, they tend to be uh, somewhat of pioneers in, in in some ways in sports and what they're doing. And and I mean, I'm hoping that we see the same thing in Ontario and the rest of Canada where, um, you know, young ladies get an opportunity to play football, such as like the, the, the touch or the flag I'm talking, going on right. to university or programs that grow at that level. Is this something that you see could potentially happen in the future where it's, it goes beyond the, uh, the high school age group and it goes into the, the colleges and universities? Um, it's hard to say what the universities will pick up. I, I think they play football, touch football, flag football at a, uh, what's the term they use? Uh, Inter intramural, yes. Yeah. So it's it's not think... school versus school yeah. thing, or if it is, I'm, I'm not aware of it. And, and most of my focus, quite frankly, has been really on the youth uh, component of it. Right. If you build a strong base, it allows you to kind of you know go further up the food chain, so to speak. So there's nothing that says a strong amateur level of touch flag football, non-contact football could not result in your know, next level play at, at potential university. Um, I mean, every sport had to have a start at some point. And if there's a, if there's a successful model, <clears throat> excuse me, to build upon and a lot of interest in the sport, you can see that happening. And I love what rugby has done with the rugby sevens where they took a sport and that, you know, the 15 man aside and, and they carved it down and changed the rule set. Certainly it's more applicable for television and now for tournament play. But that was nowhere a bunch of years ago, and look how that's grown up as quickly as it can. No, very cool stuff. Very interesting stuff. Um, in, sorry. Yes, one other point, Wayne. I, uh, I think um, you know, flag football is becoming a big push nationally, internationally, um, to the point where you may see Olympic teams created around flag football, non-contact football. So. That's the kind of thing that, that sport organizations are looking at, amateur sport organizations in each country are looking at, where is the next growth area for it? And it's fair to say that I don't see tackle football being an Olympic sport, right? Because you can't play games within you know, four days of each other. There's a whole bunch of reasons around it. But non-contact sport version of football is certainly one that can port itself to the television viewing audience. And you know, if you've got Olympic sports status, that gives you extra funding, which helps you know, national provincial organizations do much more with it. So don't be, don't be surprised if you see that something coming out in the future. I a hundred percent agree with you. 
Um, I spent the last couple of years overseas, or not last couple of seasons, but I spent like six, seven months over uh, in each of the last couple of years. Once, one time, or last year in Italy, the year previous in Switzerland, and the uh, the growth or the popularity of uh, of flag football in Italy, particularly in the south, absolutely blew me away. And scenario that you talk about whereas you just don't have the pot i mean obviously football is completely different there oh, than yeah. it is here but you don't have the population base in the south of italy that you have in the north so i mean you just don't buy by population numbers you can't have enough and, and obviously it's not as big as as football here soccer being king um you don't have the numbers for sustainable uh multiple tackle clubs but you do for flag and it's really starting to take off. So it's interesting. You see that, say that uh, Steve, because 100% agree with you. And, and for anybody that might be skeptical of what we're saying right now, let me tell you, um, you're on to something. You're, you're going down a path that I, that wouldn't surprise me um, in the future. Just what I've seen overseas in the last few uh, treks. If you look at the outside North America football expansion, it's all been tied to us military bases around the world, right? That's how football really beyond natural borders. And of course the, the, you know, the, the American model has been predominant. So they don't play three net three down 150 yard long fields in around the world. It's, it's all American based. But the flag model has become something that's been very uh, accessible from a cost point of view, from an entry point of view. You don't need to have, you know, helmets and shoulder pads and all this equipment. It looks cool on TV, and that's what gets people looking at, you know, outside of North America, looking at football. But the flag component is is equally as strong. And in fact, we had the national tournament or an international tournament in Ottawa about five years ago, which was my first experience to high-level flag football. And uh, Team Canada lost to Team Italy. And it was just amazing watching these guys perform on the field. And, and ladies as well. They had both male and female competitions. Um, so, you know, we may have invented the sport. We may have been uh, part of the, uh, the early stages of it. But uh, successfully played outside this country, outside North America, is, is already happening. And it's, it's pretty impressive to watch. No, and, it, and it's like you said, it, it is, it's, you know, part of it is a participation. So part of it is the enjoyment of playing. And then the other part of something growing um, into a spectator sport is the is you know the uh, the enjoyment or the popularity of watching it, and I mean it takes a lot of the athletic elements from tackle football and and yeah. keeps them in place. So I know, uh, like you said, it doesn't surprise me that it was a team from Italy, um, just because I was really impressed with the uh, the infrastructure they had in place and the popularity and the sure. skill level. Like um, in a very small town. Very small town. I mean, relatively speaking, compared to Montreal, Ottawa, Toronto, this type of thing, I was in a place of probably about seventy-five, eighty-five thousand people, and they had, um, and they had two. And again, keep in mind, this isn't Canada. This is Italy, and uh, and they had two different uh, flag organizations, plus a uh, a women's flag team, plus a couple of junior flag teams. And I mean, the the future in a lot of these countries is that they don't want, um, you know, or they don't believe in the under 12, under 13 playing right. tackle football and that this is the future being at the flag or whatnot. And a lot of cases where the population isn't there, or again, like, like we talked about, it's, it's not Canada. It's not the U S um, in some pockets. It's a, it's a very niche sport, but again, 
as opposed to having uh, a need to to have at least 36 people for a team to even think of starting, you know, 10 people and you're yeah. good to go. So, no, interesting yeah, stuff. That's with true. No, cool, Steve. Well, I, I, I appreciate some of the stuff you're telling. It's interesting stuff. Now, looking back, and it's funny, I want to go back to the coaching because I told you I was going to ask you uh, – one of the questions about that, because it was when I've had plenty of conversations with you over the time. I've always enjoyed yeah, our interaction. I've, I'm going um, to kind of uh, embarrass you a little. <laughs> I, I, I think you, you're much too, you're much too modest when you talk about some of the stuff that you've, and I, and I agree a hundred percent. You've always been one of these guys. You're a football guy. You give credit to everybody around you. Um, but I do think you're a little too modest in, in, in what I personally kind of, from a step back, saw the growth and evolution and the, if you will, the development and the kind of um, coming together of football in the capital between 2005 and 2015 or 2020 rather. And it's not to say it wasn't there before, but it was something that was already there and you took it and you ran with it. So, I mean, kudos on that. But I want to talk a little bit about your, your coaching now um, because that part I didn't know about. So I'm going to ask you this. Um, when you were kind of, uh, your son was playing, you were helping out at that level. Um, do you notice any significant changes from when you coached back in the nineties to what you were seeing as a club president, but I'm sure you did a lot of stuff. You had, uh, the interaction with the clubs. What kind of was the difference in anything you want to talk about, either style, mentality, technique, the player coaching style, whatever well, jumps the biggest, to mind. Uh, change of course, relates to uh, concussion awareness in the sport. I think in my high school okay. days and I'm pulling the ring, I mean, these things were a normal part of the... Pulling the ring. And even our early days of, uh, you know, in, in teaching minor football, I mean, coaches then only knew what they had been taught previously, right, or, or what they played previously. So a big change was, was of course, adopting the safe contact rules, uh, you know, embracing the changes related to concussion awareness. And quite frankly, if we had not done that, we would have no tackle football. It would be over and done with. I mean, even I as a parent would probably say, well, am I going to put my son in a sport or daughter in a sport that is a huge risk of injury and show us no signs of embracing any new change or new technology? And the answer is probably no, I wouldn't. But, but I think that's probably the biggest thing that I've seen over that time frame. And interestingly enough, the concussion awareness really, again, is focused specifically on tackle. We don't have the same issues in the non-contact world. So you're seeing the big change that has affected tackle and is, is going to help tackle become, uh, you know, to find its, its, its happy, happy place, but it also sets the stage for the non-contact to grow as well. So the sport still has a couple of uh, cards to play, if you will, to make, uh, to make it successful. That, but that's the biggest thing. And, and the adoption by coaches of these new rule changes and embracing the, the safe contact has been, you know, the next biggest thing. Because, of course, we can put the rules in place, but if no one's going to follow it, Again, you're on a you're on a ship that's got to control. But I think the adoption of the programs set forth by Football Canada and the coaches picking that up and the certification and training that coaches are now required to go through have been the two biggest things and the two biggest positives I think of the what the sport's taken on. Well, it's funny because I mean I don't think people realize just how and again, 20 years is a significant amount of time. But just the changes that football's overgone since the, the late 90s to, to, to now. And, um, 
And it's really funny because, you know, it, it, again, you, you look back at football then and you see the differences, but you don't think of it as that wide a gap between where they're at right. now. So, I mean, that's, uh, that's, let's hope they continue. On, oh, I shouldn't say they, I should say we continue on that track because um, like you said earlier in our conversation, it's a game that's been around for over a hundred years. Um, it, it comes in a, in a whole multitude of fast uh, of fashions, if you will. So there's, there's something for everybody. There's still the tackle element yeah. if that's what you want to do, but there's a flag element, a touch element. So again, let's hope that we all keep, uh, realizing that 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 we have to continue in that uh sure. in that manner and although you know sometimes we we kind of have a nostalgia about <laughs> the way things are or a certain type of hit we have to also remember that you know think the big picture not just that one well you know moment nostalgia is tinged and, with you know the cringeworthiness when we look back and say oh i can't believe we used to do that or we used to teach that um but but i think the fact no, that we exactly. recognize that change was needed that we've embraced the change uh, is an important step, first step, second step, third step. And uh, I think my observations are that uh, people get it, parents understand it, coaches understand it, league administrators understand it, and uh, now we just got to go to town and, uh, and, and make it work. No, very cool, very cool. I have a question for you. It's kind of a weird question. Not weird, but you'll see where I'm going with it. You and I both, we know Gowan, uh, current President Gowan Harding, uh, yeah. very, very well. Uh, and and just like you said at the beginning, when you were talking at the beginning, you had nothing but uh, but praise for uh, for the current president. So I mean, this isn't uh, this isn't a question saying well, how, what would we how will we tell Gowan to do this? But the question is. As past president, as a past president, and the you know one that had just kind of be uh, just stepped away, what would be your advice to Gowan um, going forward? If you were kind of looking at the landscape, what would be if you were to give him any piece of advice? Yeah, what think, might it be? Um, you know, there's, there's a couple of ways to approach it. One is um, it was, is the ship broken and we need immediate change, or is the ship you know kind of need a little bit of a, a change of direction? And and I think. The, the change of direction is is what is necessary. I think we've got a great league and we've got some great people in it. Need some refocus in some areas. And, and Gowan's actually leading the way with with a couple of initiatives. You'll hear a zone concept coming up that uh, is being discussed at a at a board level. Um, and I think the fact that Gowan has has kind of embraced, you know, what he's what he's inheriting, but also has a, has his own ideas of where to take things is important. And and I'm here to support him whichever way he goes. Um, you know, I didn't mean to kind of hand uh, COVID-19 on his doorstep, that, that kind of happened. But, but by the same token, that's, that's also going to be something that we need to, as a sport, be very cognizant of how we, how we move forward with it. Because it's no longer just football Canada rules around play. You've now got to deal with the provincial bodies. You've got to deal with the city um, uh, governance, right? I mean, for us to book a football field, there's a whole bunch of rules and, and requirements that, that come with that now that's, that's outside of our normal pathway. And, uh, and that's something we have to be very conscious of and, 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 and support because if we don't follow the rules, you know, that's, that's going to be very bad for us. But I think, uh, you know, Gallon's got, his, got some great ideas. He's putting those forward. The board's looking at that. And, uh, and I'm going to be here to help make sure that, that what, what he needs to get done gets done. No, that's awesome, man. Um, now, I got one last question for you. And again, I really appreciate you sure. uh, taking the time to talk to us and, and kind of, you know, 
take a, a, a trip down memory lane of the last 20 years of, uh, of, of McCaffa. Looking back now at your uh, tenure, both with the uh, as president of NACAFA and with the um, with the Redskins slash Eagles club, um, you have a couple. I don't want to say just one memory, but you have uh, a memory or two that kind of jumps out at your one, you know, fond fond memory of your time uh, volunteering well, in that capacity. There's, there's a whole bunch. <laughs> uh, but one, one story yeah. I, I like to tell people because it, it's got a couple messages in it is uh, I was coaching as my first year as a tight coach. So I had, uh, you know, a team of, you know, 24 little red faces kind of looking up at me when we'd, uh, you know, finish practice and you know, do the walk down speech and get ready for the game on the weekend. And, uh, and the game came around and we're sitting there on the sideline and at the end of the quarter, the whistle blows. It's going from first quarter to second quarter, and we're on the five-yard line going in. So the referee picks up the ball, turns around, and starts walking the length of the field because it's change of ends. And little Frankie Rattano grabs me by the sleeve, and he says, Coach, Coach, what do we do wrong? That's the biggest penalty I've ever seen. And I looked at him, and I looked at the field, and I started laughing, and I, I said, Frankie, it's, it's, change of, it's, change of, it's change of ends. And I realized... As much as we understand the game and have a, an awareness of what's going on, these kids are literal, literal blank slates. And, and that innocent question you know, yeah. kind of taught me to make sure that I, I've got to make sure I communicate and explain things a lot more clearly than, than I have in the past. And, uh, and, and I don't know where Frankie Rutan was these days, but uh, <laughs> he sticks out in my mind as one of those little stories that, uh, that, that certainly was, uh, has, has always stayed with me. Well, that's great, man. I appreciate that, Steve. That's uh, you, again. I you say, I say this frequently on this podcast. I'm very lucky to do this. You put a smile on my face. Well, Steve, I very uh, I appreciate the stories, and I appreciate you talking to us, talking us through some of the uh, the history of the last twenty years in the CAFA and some of your well, thanks very much, Wayne. It's, it's been great chatting. We'll have to do this again, hopefully face to face at some time when uh, when the world comes back to normal. But uh, anytime you want to chat, uh, you know I'm available. Ah, one hundred percent. I'm looking forward to doing it both uh, again here, if we can, quickly. And uh, like you said, um, it's one of those things where um, how can I put it? A, a lot of guys I haven't been in t- or I haven't seen in a while because you take it for granted. You talk to them on the phone. It's like ah, I haven't seen them in three, four years or whatever. Yeah. Then it becomes four or five, and then you know something like COVID hits. So the, the another great thing with this has kind of been I've been able to. Uh, you know, just reconnect with a lot of people and uh, and make some plans. So I'll tell you what, I'm really looking forward to it. Kind of, uh, you know, things yeah. settling down and uh, I, I look forward to it, man. Thank you. Cool, buddy. Steve, I appreciate it, buddy. I really appreciate you jumping in here. And uh, and everybody out there, I appreciate you stopping in and listening to our conversation. And uh, again, make sure you join us on the next uh, 65 for 65 podcast of the NACAFA. 65 years of our huddle includes everyone.